Hi, this is Michelle. And this is Deanna. And this is Historable. Diana. So Michelle. We made it. Episode 100. We did it. I'm cheesing so hard right now. <laughs> so excited. I can't believe it's been 100 episodes. I know. Crazy. We've covered so much. I can't wait to cover so much more. I know. To the next 100. Cheers to the next 100. With our non-alcoholic bubbly. I'm drinking a lemon sparkling water. Yay. Yay. Okay, guys. So we were trying to think of episodes that were going to be like cool enough for episode 100. And we thought maybe this will be the time that I'll actually pull out a script for the Knights Templar. And guess what? I did it. Thank goodness. I have been hearing about... Knights Templar for over for a while for a long time I was telling Deanna before we started recording too I'm like I think I d- I've definitely had a different impression on what they were than what they actually were so it was very interesting and very cool to finally like know all about them and, and figure that all out and put in the script so I could teach you guys about it yeah and I have zero clue what they are I just know that Michelle has said their name a bunch (laughs) a bunch because yeah they are definitely a script that i've sat down to write like i don't know at least 15 times so a lot of big milestones on today's episode 100 michelle finally completed the knight's templar script (laughs) and yeah and also it's our our last episode before holiday break yeah last episode of 2023 yeah so it's a, a lot of a lot of things today a lot of really cool things. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe for the next one, I'll finally pull out a script on the Irish Troubles because that's another one I've started a dozen times. <laughs> but here we are, Knights Templar. Diving right in because I don't think we have any other affairs, right? Nope. Let's do it. Cool. Knights Templar, they were pretty much like a medieval Christian military order that was founded in the 1100s. They were renowned for like their military prowess during the Crusades, which we'll talk a little bit about. And they were also known for, randomly, their financial innovations, which we'll definitely get into. Despite their ending in like the 1300s under charges of heresy and other crimes, they remain under fierce speculation for their supposed hidden knowledge of lost treasures. Ooh, intriguing. Yeah. So before we get into all of that, I want to set the stage by painting a picture of kind of what the world was like when the Knights Templar emerged and kind of understand why they were created in the first place. So let's get into it. So I want to kind of start in the 11th century because this was a time of significant upheaval and transformation across Europe and the Near East. So the Near East is an area that we're going to be talking a ton about today. Those are kind of modern day Syria, Turkey, Cyprus, Egypt, uh, Jordan, just that kind of whole area over there. Got it. As well as Europe, which was kind of gradually emerging from the Dark Ages. 
during this area, just because there was so many issues in Europe and the Near East, the idea of like a centralized government was still kind of a distant reality for most regions. You saw that power was primarily in the hands of like local lords or mainly the church specifically. The political climate was filled with constant power struggles and territorial disputes, but the church was kind of at the forefront of all of that. They were kind of the glue that kept everyone together across Europe because it was so many different opinions and cultures and stuff like that, but they all had the church in common. Okay, so they had something that would bring them all together. Yes, yeah. So the church itself, too, they were an interesting one back then because they weren't just a religious organization. They were really a political machine and an economical powerhouse. They were involved with everything. Mm -hmm. So they were really the force to be reckoned with for the era. The Pope was kind of seen as Christ on earth, and he had the ability to do anything he wanted. So, you know, he's got like that ultimate veto power. Mm -hmm. But he also has the power to do things like sanction a war. So this was definitely a time that the line between the divine, like the religious aspect, and the mundane things of political, just everyday garbage, those lines were often blurred and crossed. Simultaneously, the Islamic world was experiencing kind of a golden age in the Near East. They saw a ton of advances in science and mathematics and philosophy and art. And the Muslim government groups, which are called caliphates, I guess, had little like sectors all over Europe as well. While it was not as prominent as the church, they were still holding a presence across Europe. So if you recall from our Roman Empire episode, we talked about how the Roman Empire split west and east Mm -hmm. and the east became the Byzantine Empire who put up shop in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul and Turkey, so in this whole area that we're talking about right now. So while the Byzantines had kind of historically been powerful in the area, there was one up-and-coming group that was looking to remove them, and that was the Seljuk Turks, who had recently just converted to Islam. So they began kind of going after the Byzantines, trying to reclaim their land and restore Islam to the land. They were actually semi-successful after a pretty notorious battle in the late 1000s where the Byzantine emperor was actually captured by the Seljuk Turks. So after that is over the next couple hundred of years, they really, uh, history really kind of sees this battle as kind of like the Byzantines beginning of their downfall, Mm -hmm. but it just happened a couple hundred years later. So all this kind of happened despite the fact that the Byzantines were sophisticated and a military force so they knew that they had to take these seljuk turks pretty seriously in the area and the byzantines found themselves calling for aid from the western world by this point the western roman empire had already fallen so they're just kind of going to the church they're going to the countries themselves the monarchies and saying like hey we're here in this holy land and we're trying to you know, keep our footing here, but we need some help because it's getting kind of dicey over here. Mm -hmm. So at the time, Pope Urban II 
actually gave, I guess it's like a pretty famous speech, but in the speech, he ended up calling for a holy war, pretty much saying it is our duty as Christians to help aid the reclaiming of land in the Near East and all the holy lands that exist there. And once the Pope says something, pretty much all of the monarchies that follow him need to like get in line. Yeah, like his his word is like... You just have to do it. <laughs> right. If you're if the Pope is saying the faith is under attack, like you need to send bodies and supplies and anything that you can. <laughs> the whole idea was a fight to reclaim this holy land from Muslim rule and keep Christianity flowing in the area. Okay, so that's I was gonna ask, like, so a holy war is just like our religion is under attack in one way, shape, or form, kind of? Is that the best way to describe it? That's exactly it. Got it. So there was, you know, the Muslims in the area that were trying to kind of reclaim the land, and then there was, you know, the Catholics in the area and the, and the Byzantine Empire, and the Pope was like, we need to keep our footing here. Let's go to war. Got it. Um, and this actually began something that I feel like most people know about, the Crusades. That's another one we'll have to do a podcast episode on because I don't really know much about them. I learned a little bit just for this episode, but um, we'll definitely get into deeper detail at some point. But yeah, it was just a series of religious and military campaigns waged by Christian Europe against the Muslims in the Near East. Got it. <laughs> There's a lot more nuance there, but that's for another just day. To su- just to sum it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, militarily and strategically, there was probably a lot of other things going into these crusades, like just expanding Christian borders. You know, you started small and then you keep growing out from there. And that had to be a factor in this as well. So you have these crusades happening, land is getting taken and taken back and all this stuff. And eventually the Christian side starts pushing further and further and starts to regain some of these holy lands like Jerusalem. Once they have a strong footing in these areas, people felt safe visiting these areas for the first time in a long time. So a lot of people started making these sort of pilgrimages to these holy lands in order to witness things in real life. Mm-hmm. However, quickly after these kind of pilgrimages started, it was very evident that this was not a safe journey for people to make. It was a very long journey, a very arduous journey. Think Oregon Trail journey, right? Oh. Like, <laughs> so it's a long way to go and you're carrying everything with you. So these pilgrims started to experience robberies, kidnappings, you name it. Tons of violence and theft were happening on the way to the Holy Lands. Recognizing the need to protect these travelers, a man by the name of Hugh de Payan, French, it's French, Hugh de Payan, (laughs) and eight other knights established a chivalric order for that very purpose, to protect these pilgrims making the voyage to the Holy Land. I was wondering when the knights were going to come into this story. (laughs) Here it is, yeah. Yeah, so pretty much all that to say... There was a bunch of religious beef going on, people looking to get land, take land, give back land, all that stuff. All these people started making pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and those people needed protection. And then thus the Knights Templar was founded. And thus began the Knights Templar. 
Hugh and his eight buddies are considered the first of the Knights Templar because they're the ones that kind of first were like, hey, these people need protection. We can do it, but we're going to definitely need some help before we do so. So they went to King Baldwin II of Jerusalem and they're like, hey, there's a bunch of people coming here, a bunch of Christians. They're getting robbed and murdered on the side of the road. What can we do to help them? And King Baldwin was like, great, well, let's set you guys up first so you guys can start bringing in more people and training people and we can kind of start this order. So here's what I can do for you. I will give you some place to live here in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And he then allocates him a place called the Temple of Solomon. This was a structure that was built in 900 BCE. So like 2,000 years before our Knights Templar guys. Uh, so it was a very, very old building. And the Temple of Solomon was a very important structure in Jerusalem. It was rumored to at one point have housed the Ark of the Covenant, which I guess was like this chest that had stored the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments were inscribed upon. Was that an Indiana Jones? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'm like, sometimes I'm like, is that right? But yeah. Okay. So that was in was the it, Indiana Jones. <laughs> was it Indiana Jones or was it an Arnold movie? I don't know. Like it was in something. Or something. Yeah. You're definitely right though. But yeah. So two tablets in a chest called the Ark of Covenant. And that was said to have at one point or maybe secretly buried beneath the Temple of Solomon. Got it. Uh, the temple was also really important because a lot of people went to go worship there. I saw a lot of mention about people saying that it was believed that God lived there, like resided there in spirit. I'm like, but isn't that any place of worship that it's like that your God's spirit is meant to be there and that's why you go there to go pray? I don't know. But definitely not every church could possibly potentially at one point have had that Ark of Covenant. <laughs> so there we go. So from this association that Hugh and his eight buddies had now with this uh, Temple of Solomon, they became known simply as the Templars. They actually had a much longer name. That's the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. But Oof, we like that's Templars. A that's a mouthful. It's <laughs> a mouthful. Uh, we appreciate Templars. So just a note here, just knights in general of this era, not Templar knights, just knights. Uh, they were kind of considered to be self-righteous dicks. Okay. It was not uncommon for knights to kind of roam village to village demanding money and food with threats of violence. But really, they were just big old bullies. But not the Templars. They were started and created and bred out of this uh this different stock i guess you could say so they all took monastic vows of poverty chastity and obedience so they were monks got it okay they were very devout even their emblem was like two knights riding on a single horse that was meant to kind of symbolize their commitment to poverty and to brotherhood and that's exactly what they were meant to be all about is that we're just here to protect people and that's it. Like we're not doing anything for ourselves. So the Templar Knights definitely had a lot of crazy rules that they had to live by. Mm -hmm. um, some of the ones I thought were really interesting were especially around their clothing. They were kind of forced to dress very simply in like black or white. I think mostly black. They were always stood out from the crowd because their kind of emblem too was like white with a red cross 
So they would kind of have that as like their banner and stuff. So you could always identify, identify that's a Knights Templar or a Knight of the Templar, a Templar Knight, however you want to phrase that. But also just in their regular street clothes, they weren't allowed to wear anything that was deemed fancy. So they weren't allowed to wear fur or pointed shoes or laced shoes. Apparently at the time, those fashions, quote, belong to the pagans. Oh, okay. Um, someone just really didn't like shoelaces, so I don't know what they wore instead, but uh, I can only imagine. Additionally, those Templar boys were only allowed to eat meat three times a week. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, it was thought that eating flesh was seen to potentially corrupt the body. Hmm. Obviously, this was bent for holidays and things like that, but also at the time, I'm like... I think during this era, like, no one was just housing meat every day. Like, yeah. Well, and like, like, three times a week, it's, I mean. That's a lot. That's, like, a decent amount. <laughs> that's, like, more than I eat meat in a week. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, teach their own, right? Anyway, much like uh, monks in the common sense or how you would think of them, they weren't allowed to marry Mm-hmm. or be intimate in any way. This stretched as far as even not being able to kiss their mothers. Oh, wow. So okay. it was like very, very strict. And bending any of these rules would definitely result in punishment, which also seemed like it ranged pretty far. <laughs> uh, I definitely saw like one guy did something and his punishment was having to eat dinner on the floor every night. But oh, not like okay. off the floor. Like he just had to sit on the floor and not at a seat. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I guess I guess that would make him sad and lonely. I don't know. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. So like nothing really seemed too extreme. Yeah. They just kind of seemed like like funny pranks. They're like know. they're like you can't sit with us. <laughs> like okay. Yeah. Like lol, you can't smile today. Like I don't know. <laughs> Zany Templars. <laughs> Zany Templars. I don't know. <laughs> but I think things really started to get interesting after they received, like, official endorsement from the Catholic Church itself. Because remember, like, they started off just getting, uh, like, an endorsement and help from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But as they were traveling back and forth and everyone started to be like, oh, these guys are actually, like, really helping people safely visit the Holy Lands, we're going to start helping them out. But that really began once the Pope was like, these are our dudes. We need to help them. We need to help feed them, clothe them, house them, whatever we can do. It's our Christian duty. Like, we got these guys. Got it. So after this endorsement, the Templars really flourished. Not only did their numbers increase, but so did their wealth and power, mm. as supporters ranged from common people to the kings of Europe. I forget what king it was, but one king, like, when he died, he left his estate. He cut into thirds, <laughs> one third of which went to the Templars. Oh, wow. So everyone was just like, here's my money. Take my money. Which then made the Templars, like, super freaking rich. Mm-hmm. Like, they, were, they weren't they were poor knights anymore. Like, yeah. They were balling. And so over time, the Templars became one of the most formidable financial forces in the Christian world, which like, let's be real. You can say you have power, you can do this, you can do that, but it's really who's got the money to back it all up, right? Mm -hmm. 
After amassing a very sizable trust for themselves, they soon saw many requests for loans, including from the kings and queens of Europe. Oh, interesting. They started becoming kind of like a bank. They started being like, oh, you need money? Sure, here. Oh, you're going to go do this? Great, here's some money. Like, pay us back with interest. So they were making money that way, too. (laughs) But definitely their most innovative financial technique was their form of banking, which people think today is kind of like the inspiration for how we do modern banking. So one of their biggest things after kind of you know, patrolling the road to the Holy Lands for however many years. They thought, how can we help keep the robbers at bay? They obviously know that we're going to be here and we're going to fight fight them if they mm-hmm. try to approach these pilgrims. But they're still coming anyway. They're chancing it. What if they knew that there was nothing for them to steal because these people didn't have anything? So what they started to do is wherever, at whatever home country the people were coming from, let's say France... If I was going to France, to Jerusalem, in France, I would go to the Templars and I would give them whatever chalice, whatever gold, anything I had, and I would give it to them. Then they would write me like a note saying, oh, Michelle deposited 10 gold chalices and like some coins or whatever worth this much money. Mm -hmm. It would get sealed and I would travel with that document. Then when I got to Jerusalem, I'd go back to the Templars and say, here's my note. And then they would give me that money. Okay. So I wouldn't have to travel with it. I would only need to travel with this piece of paper. And I would have no valuables to be stolen from these robbers along the way. That's pretty smart. Yeah. And I think about it like, yeah, modern banking. Like, you can go to any ATM in the world and take out money. I mean, we have credit cards and stuff like that now. So that's a whole different ballgame. But, I mean, pretty smart if you think about it. Yeah. So they started to do that, and yeah, those caravans of people started to get attacked less and less, because I feel like it's harder to find a piece of paper than it is, like, a gold chalice. Not that I'm saying everyone's rolling around here with all these just, like, gold chalices. Right. (laughs) It's just what I think of, like, in the olden times, I think of gold chalices. Well, yeah, and even if you steal a piece of paper, like, okay, cool, you have a piece of paper. Like, you can't do anything with it. Yeah, and then I was thinking, I was like... Well, if they stole the piece of paper, they could go to Jerusalem and then cash it in. But what if it's like, this is for Michelle, and it's like a dude named John shows up. It's like, you're not Michelle. Yeah, I'm sure they had a couple of like ways to prevent fraud. (laughs) Yeah, what kind of lengths did they go through for that? So yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. But yeah, so a lot of people think that modern banking was kind of based on this whole kind of process. So after a period of time, the robbers stopped robbing because no one had any money or gold chalices on this road to the Holy Lands. The Knights Templar were just getting richer and richer, and all these kings and queens of Europe were just getting further into debt with these knights. But things couldn't exist like this forever. In the Near East, conflict kept raging, and eventually the Crusader states began to fail, and Christian territories in the Holy Land were lost. And so people kind of stopped going out there. This kind of left the Templars' future in doubt, just because they were like, okay, this was kind of your purpose, but you're also kind of soldiers, so you're still kind of like helping in the Crusades, but we're losing the Crusades, so like... Mm. What's your purpose, right? Yeah. And I think all of this after uh, 200 or so years really kind of led to their demise. I mean, they definitely weren't around for just a blip. It was like 200 years later. That's a solid run. That's a solid run. But the fall of the Knights Templar itself was very swift and very brutal. 
by the early 1300s, so around that 200 year mark. They were losing the foothold in the Near East, right? Their kind of effectiveness was being questioned. And I think a lot of people that were in debt to the Templars try to take advantage of this moment of kind of like doubtfulness in them. Mm-hmm. In particular, King Philip IV of France. So this dude, I guess, owed a lot of money to the Templars. And he kept going back for more loans. And they kept being like, we can't give you any more money until you start paying us back. Right. Which enraged this king. Like, he was like, how dare you? I'm a king. Like, do you even know who I am? And he felt super scorned. So he decided, I need to get rid of the Templars. Like, how can I do this? Got it. If we've learned anything from events like the Salem Witch Trials, which Deanna did an episode on, or Henry VIII, our favorite king that we always like to bring up, and how he got rid of so many of his wives, you can't just kill somebody you need to like accuse them of something that's not true first right so then you are justified in killing them of course so that's exactly what king philip did here he accused them of dubious charges of heresy blasphemy and other offenses eventually this led to him getting a warrant for their arrest just as a whole he ordered the arrest of all the templars in france at the time on friday october 13th 1307 I said the date exactly because some people think that this is maybe where Friday the 13th gets like its unlucky superstition is from this day. Okay. Kind of interesting. So pretty much they rounded up all the Templars under all these charges of blasphemy and hearsay and all this stuff. And they subjected them all to like torture and all these crazy things until some of them just confessed to the crimes that they didn't commit simply just to stop being tortured. Hmm. Some people just break and you can't take it anymore. Particularly their grandmaster, a man named Jacques Desmoulets, he was taken, captured, tortured for several years, and eventually he was burned at the stake in 1314. That Friday the 13th happened 1307. So this was seven years later that this dude finally gets burned at the stake. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. I can't even imagine what they were doing to him for all seven of those years. Yeah. Now that this kind of happened, this was just all the Templars that were in France, which apparently was a good chunk. The other Templars were just kind of scared into hiding. They were kind of on the run. They're like, this happened in France. Like, we, a lot of other really powerful guys owe us money. Is this going to happen in other countries? Like, we got to, like, we got to go. Yeah. Call the Uber. Yeah, let's (laughs) grab the money and run. Yeah, so eventually after a few years, the order was officially disbanded by the Pope as well, which really took away a lot of their kind of protection that they had from the Catholic Church. They no longer had that either, so they disappeared. And while they had kind of a violent end, I feel like I was really unsatisfied with reading the research that I was, because I was like, so that's just it? Like, they killed a bunch of them, and then the rest just went where like where'd their money go where'd yeah. the people go where'd they flee to what did they do once they got there and guess what that's what everyone else questions as well and that is why there are so many conspiracy theories regarding this order bunch of dudes they were monks they couldn't marry they couldn't kiss their mothers like they couldn't do anything like why are these dudes shrouded in so much conspiracy mm-hmm. it's their exit that really leaves it up to interpretation 
There's dozens of different stories out there about hidden treasures, information they may or may not have had that could cripple the, the entire globe. Yeah. And even connections to the Freemasons. Ooh. That was a fun episode. Yeah. So De- for those that don't know, Deanna did an episode on the Freemasons. I almost listened to it to kind of like, but I didn't have enough time. So definitely go check that out afterwards because I will be as well. (laughs) The conspiracy theories range from really small to like really like Freemason-y. I feel like Freemason to me is at like the top of like the the tier. Like that's like super conspiracy for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But some of the basic ones are what the Templars may or may not have had possession of, including information and objects. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so there's a lot of conspiracy about the Temple Mount, specifically in Jerusalem. Legends say that the Templars ended up found, finding very powerful things underneath this Temple Mount. Uh, I saw some sources that said it was like information that could like really destroy the church Mm -hmm. and that's why they never released it i saw other information that the holy grail was underneath the church and that they found it and then a big thing with the knights templar you'll see is that they were in possession of and were ordered to protect the holy grail Mm -hmm. this is just my limited knowledge here but the holy grail i want to say like do we even know if it's a real object or not or was it just so i think some people think it's a metaphor for something i have Um, no idea (laughs) i think in one of those yeah indiana jones movies like that's what they're looking for or something like that yeah so yeah, there's a lot of speculation on what was discovered in the Temple Mount and that possibly the Knights Templar were blackmailing people, including the church, mm-hmm. with this information and or objects that were found. The Ark of Covenant, again, is something that they are supposed to have protected and kept within their ranks. And then when they disappeared, it disappeared, right? Mm, mysterious. <laughs> yeah, so little things like that. But um, the one that really gets me is, yeah, that the Templars had knowledge of ancient wisdom or ancient information or something that completely contradicts the church's teachings. And they protected that with everything they had as they were obviously a big part of the church and supported by the church, but could have used that to blackmail the church as well, having that information. I think that one, I think, is a little bit more opinionated, but that was a big conspiracy theory I saw as well. Yeah. Probably one of my favorite ones that we've already kind of touched on is what happened to their treasure? I think that's a very valid question. If they like were banking all this stuff, where did it go? (laughs) If they were so loaded, yeah, where did it go? So um, there's a lot of conspiracy around that about how it's buried somewhere so treasure hunters have gone to find it. Do you? I think we've talked about these types of shows before, but like hunting hitler and all those like what's on like tlc or something like that Mm -hmm. like all those shows there was one show that was like treasure of oak island or something do did you ever watch that one no what was that okay or maybe it was like snake island something i don't know i watched it only lightly apparently there was some sort of treasure there and i'm like oh i wonder if it was the knight's templar treasure that they were looking for oh maybe (laughs) but it's yeah supposedly it's buried somewhere supposedly it got broken up and funded these other societies like the freemasons later down you know a couple centuries later uh who knows There's a big group of people that speculate that a lot of the Templars ended up in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And so I I think here's where the Freemason stuff really starts to connect. Apparently, there was a huge resistance 
against the English by a Scottish hero named Robert the Bruce. And it said that the Templars actually funded this resistance with Templar money while they were in hiding. This actually would place the Templars then at the infamous Battle of Bannockburn, which happened in 1314. So like right when their leader was burned, that was the same year. So that could be that after they were all rounded up in 1307, they went to Scotland and then were like, hey, there's a resistance happening. Like, let's get in on this. <laughs> so there's a lot of speculation there that the Templars were involved in that resistance, which would then put them in Scotland for then them to be set up with a couple hundred years later, eventually founding the Freemasons, mm. which I don't know. I don't remember if we talked about this in your episode, but I think the official start of Freemasons happened in England when like four groups got together to form a lodge in like 1717. Yeah. But there was some beginning whispers that could have happened in Scotland in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. So either way, they were in the British Isles supposedly at some point with all this Templar gold, like they could have very well started it. Apparently there's a lot of similarities between Freemasons, just kind of like rules and stuff like that, that there was to the Templars. They think that maybe Hmm. someone was in secret over there. Maybe. Makes sense. Yeah. There's also speculation that others fled to Portugal where they started something called the Order of the Christ. There's speculation that the Templars actually went across the Atlantic to the Americas. This would put them there some 170 years before Columbus. So this is backed by some Freemason symbols being found in the Americas when Columbus and his crew kind of came over and... It was either the natives had the same symbols as them or Templars had been there. (laughs) So that was pretty interesting. The Freemasons to me are always on like the top tier of kind of that conspiracy list. For those that don't know, they like supposedly support this like new world order and completely changing the world and all this kind of stuff and taking over. And people secretly think that they're in control of everything, but just... That was a fun episode to research. Like, when I think back on the past 100 episodes, I think yeah. that was definitely a top enjoyable research topic that I've done. So, fun Totally. One. It was definitely 10 out of 10 recommend going back to that. And so, kind of thinking about the, the Knights Templar potential influence in that, I feel like it tracks. I feel like if you really follow the path of conspiracy surrounding them, did they find out some sort of information from buried deep within somewhere and they just blackmailed all of Europe and just took all their money? And then some people even think that maybe they foresaw that they were their demise. They kind of saw like, look, this isn't looking good for us. Like, let's take like our most important dudes and information and our money and go scatter somewhere and just lay under the radar. And then maybe in a couple years we'll start something called the Freemasons where we're going to take over the world with this crazy knowledge that we found buried underneath a temple from 1000 BCE and we're just going to run the world but like in secret and no one's going to know we're here perchance perchance we'll actually never know so all that to say the Templars were definitely a very complex blend of like warrior monk and like financier right they kind of were a jack of all trades Mm -hmm. so their legacy is a really big reminder on how history really intertwines itself with like not only power and religion but also that financial piece right because you can have all the power in the world but 
you need to have the money to back it up. Right. Um, and that that itself plays a lot of power. So while their story is centuries old, you can really still see echoes of it in modern times. So for example, the banking system. A lot of people are like, yep, that's where we got it from, is from the Templars kind of exchange of goods from that kind of their pilgrimages. So that's a big piece that affects modern life today. Mm -hmm. But also we've seen several iterations of the Templars pop up around the world ever since the quote unquote end of the Templars. And by this, I mean different people have tried to reignite the Templars mm. and their kind of their quest uh, in life. So we've seen this from people that with Islamophobia or different like Christian groups, charity groups. There's a Mexican group that literally call themselves Caballeros Templarios, which literally means Knights Templar, but it's Spanish, mm-hmm. um, that just resurged, like, I think in, like, the 1900s, right? Like, so there's all these groups that have been popping up and um, trying to kind of reinvent or reinstate the Templars' mission, but just in modern times. And not so much, like, physically protecting people to get to a location, but I think more so, like, protecting people's actual religious choices, I guess you could say, and protecting Christianity. There is a website I found for the Knights Templar of North America, uh, which you can join and become a member of. (laughs) I just read the site briefly, but there doesn't seem to be local chapters. They just run as like one big national organization that you can join. There's like a whole application process. You can Hmm. donate, all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was uh, very interesting, but they, yeah, definitely their idea has popped up since their demise. But yeah, so that's pretty much it about the Knights Templar. They were a bunch of religious soldiers, pretty much, that protected Hmm. people on voyages, then eventually became, like, super rich. And then the kings of Europe were like, we got to get these guys out of here. And then they killed them all. Or so they told us. Bum, bum, bum. And now the mystery is, I'm just going to be obsessed with trying to find out where the gold went. All those gold chalices, man. They collected, like, probably, like, millions of gold chalices over 300 years. 200 yeah. years. Where did it go? Yeah. Huh. So finally crossed it out the list. Knights Templar. There it is. Woohoo. Well, that was a great way to uh, hit 100. Also, great way to end the year is finally crossing the Knights Templar off the list and getting that script out of your drafts. So congratulations. You did it. (laughs) If you guys want to check out Michelle's source notes, head to our website, historiablepodcast.com. If you are on social media, we are too. Feel free to follow us on all the platforms. We are Historible Podcast. And if you would like to join our Patreon, especially this week, you know, the next couple weeks, if you're missing us, you just want more fresh content, go to patreon.com slash historical podcast. Yeah, patrons, this is not your last episode of 2023. You still got a couple more coming. (laughs) You still have more coming. So we're not done with you yet. Um, But yeah, well, it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun. Yay, 100. And Thank you, Michelle, once again, for pulling that together. Thank you, listeners, for your support and for listening. And I guess we'll see you guys next year. See you next year. Bye. Bye. 
someone do you think we're gonna let them know our big news i don't know there might be a little a little drop in december some big news some news, news. some noticias <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned da, da, da. bye bye